Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, it's day four of the US Open and Catherine Whitaker, Matt Roberts and myself, David Law, sitting around a nice little table in the media garden with the wind blowing and the sun shining. It's evening as we come to you now. There's still a night session to come, which means that we'll be reconvening at the end of it all to uh, talk about what's gone on. You'll hear that later on this podcast, the doubles involving Venus and Serena Williams and then Rafael Nadal against Fabio Fanini. But what we wanted to do is have a chat about what's gone on today and just generally catch up um, because it's starting to get into the meaty part of the tournament and yet today has been kind of uneventful, which I always think, Catherine, is kind of that double-edged sword because you don't get drama, but you get kind of prescripted drama to come. You, yes, you get anticipation of drama. Yes. You get things like Jensen Brooksby against Carlos Alcaraz to look forward to in two days' time. More on that shortly. Yeah. Um, yes, today has felt a little strange. It's been a gorgeous day of weather. The humidity's gone. Yeah. The stickiness of my skin has gone. <laughs> Very welcome. Um, so it's been gorgeous. It's been incredibly busy and buzzy, and yet it still has felt like a lull. Um, and that's partly to do with what's been happening on the court. No major dramas there. Again, Jensen Brooksby aside. But I think it's also a marker of the fact that Serena Williams is defining the rhythm and the cadence of this tournament. You know, we're in an aftermath right now. Is in a few hours' time, the the build-up will begin. Pretty much twenty. Well, actually, I mean, we're going to see them in doubles shortly, aren't we? But in terms of her singles quest, which I think is what it's now become, um, that is the defining feature of the feel of this tournament. And yeah. even if she loses tomorrow night, I feel like that might continue to be the case for a few days. I don't know. It's it's Serena Town. I mean, it is what everyone is talking about on the mm. on the days she's playing in singles. Everyone's thinking what's going to happen and all my conversations today with people in the press room have been about Serena last night yeah yeah no it's the same for us and we we did the same on the radio on BBC Radio today I mean it's it is 
defined by Serena this tournament at the moment. She's owning the whole thing. And and everybody's fine with that. I don't see any player looking around thinking, oh, why aren't I getting a bit more attention ahead of her? Everybody gets it, and it's it makes for anticipation that is just off the charts for the next If, if Elena of Rabakina hadn't lost, she might be saying that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I don't feel like a Wimbledon champion. <laughs> Serena's getting all the attention. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, listen, before we get into the stories of the day, let me remind you that the tennis podcast during the US Open is brought to you in association with AO Travel, who provide the Australian Open experience the easy way. That means one place, go to AO Travel and they'll sort you out with anything you could possibly want. They'll create your own package of tickets for the days and sessions and courts of your choosing at the 2023 Australian Open. They'll take care of your flights, accommodation, premium experiences such as wine tasting, behind-the-scenes tours, even a Rod Laver Arena walk-on experience. Imagine being able to get a walk-on experience at the Rod yeah, Laver Arena. Can we row all the way back to wine tasting? <laughs> Sounds good, doesn't it? Although we can't do a Naomi Osaka and tap ourselves on the walk into the Rod Laver Arena oh, yes. as she does as a sort of mm, power I source as a, as a former champion. Yeah. Well, Love that'd be that. good, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, um, I'm such a fan of outsourcing faff. Yeah. Which is what this is, because, let's face it, folks, travel is faff. <laughs> and for a lot of people in the world, not everyone, Australia's quite far away. Yeah, it is. So, obviously, you know, financially it's a privilege to be able to outsource faff, but if you can, on it, it's best way to spend your money i think i'd say so ozopentravel.com is where you know, need to go to get details how to get the best of both the best tennis the best of what melbourne has to offer just you know just saying that makes me think we you know we're going to be in melbourne in a few months um and it's all in one place you can fly you can stay you can play it's awesome and how about this one lucky friend of the tennis podcast is going to win a pair of incredible AO travel packages to go to the Australian Open in January. The winner will receive an array of tickets over the middle weekend of the Australian Open for two people, accommodation included, two return economy flights from wherever you are, and a premium experience included to complete this fantastic package. All you need to do is be a friend of the Tennis Podcast before the competition closes on September the 16th, and keep an eye out for our newsletter. It's daily throughout the US Open, and the link to get on that newsletter list is in our show notes or friends can email us at friends at tennispodcast.net if you're not on the newsletter list or if you're not getting it for whatever reason and we'll send you a link to enter if you're not a friend and want to become one to gain access to our bonus podcast and enter this competition the link to become a friend is in our show notes you know how i feel about people that don't subscribe to the newsletter yeah you know there's, there's no hope for them <laughs> Some people might be getting it going into Matt's, spam. Matt's stat was printed in the Daily Mail. That's right. Yesterday. Yes, the one that I got right. Had a bit of a shocker on Tuesday and made a read a right mess of things. But thankfully, the Daily Mail printed the correct one from Monday. <laughs> it's, the, it's the first Matt stat he ever got wrong. Uh, so anyway, it ruined my day. It, it, I, I, my first order of the day was to try to make sure Matt wasn't going to beat himself up about it <laughs> and I think I failed but anyway I tried so today I, I actually want to start with Igor Fiontech because one of the the byproducts of the Serena show is that Igor Fiontech isn't getting talked about and look she hasn't been in great form lately on her by her standards but this is a woman who's the world number one she had that 37 match winning streak and I think it's absolutely fine that she's not getting talked about at this stage. And I think she would she would 
be quite happy with that, really. I think she's quite somebody who's not not bothered too much by not being taken notice of. But she's beaten Sloane Stevens today emphatically, and she's starting to look the businessman. And it's very different that she's not being talked about, isn't it? Because she was such a big factor at the French Open. She was obviously the overwhelming favourite there. And she went into Wimbledon having just won the French Open and still on her streak. So there was a lot of attention and focus on her there. And as well as she handled all of that, she did admit that there was some pressure when the streak was going on and she was constantly having to answer questions about it. But here... I think absolutely everyone other than Serena is is under the radar, the world number one included. And she was good today against Stone Stevens. It was a very strange match and atmosphere. It was on the Arthur Ashe Stadium, the first match of the day, and that is a bit of a weird position because it's such a big stadium, it's never full for that first match. And you've got the shadow coming across the court it's just it's just not great vibes unless the match is really really good and this one wasn't because quite frankly Sloane Stevens didn't show up I said the other day I felt like her fighting through in that first round might be a really good sign that you know she was engaged in this tournament she just didn't have it she just didn't play well at all and Iga Swiatek was her first ever Arthur Ashe match, her first ever experience on that court, which is kind of mind-blowing when you think how how long she feels like she's been at kind of at the top of the sport. Um, and she just won very easily. She did absolutely everything she needed to, but that wasn't a great deal, to be honest. I think she, she got better in the second set, started cracking some forehands. She's looking absolutely fine, but... I just don't know how much you can read into this because Stevens just just wasn't really at it, to be honest. Yeah. Catherine, based on where we are now, four days into the tournament, if you had your time again with the predictions in the women's draw... (laughs) Are you offering my time again? (laughs) I mean, I can't can't remember who you said would win the title. I said Coco Goff. Right. Would you change your mind? I think one of the only last eight spots uh, that I picked that I feel okay about, I... I feel okay about Madison Keys tomorrow. I don't know why I've said that because it'll be so out of date by the time a lot of people listen to this. Uh, she could already have lost. I know you've got question marks over that matchup, and I see that. I do. I just, I don't know, she fills me with confidence, Coco Goff. Um, so I feel okay about her. I'm not, I don't, you know, I don't feel really sure that she's going to win the title or anything. I just think that's kind of as good a pick as any at this stage for the title. Um, I would like to swap out Amanda Anisimova as my <laughs> finalist. But, but I mean, based on what we've seen today, say from Igor Sviantek, has has that made you think actually, you know, we know how good Sviantek can be, and if that player is back, well, yeah. And in this side, this side of the draw perhaps feels a little bit more open to me. Serena's not in it. Coco Goff's not in it. Um, who have we? who have we got here I think Sabalenka was, was fighting back yeah actually on. extraordinary I mean, story and really and beating Kai Kanepi I think is quite a big deal well if, she's just gone up 4-2 in that. the third and she was right on the brink lost yeah, the first Kinepi set 6-2 yeah serving for it wow um, and she won the second set tiebreak 10-8 so Sab- Sabalenka could be dangerous you know it's, it's oft cited that there was a match in 2018 between Naomi Osaka and Sabalenka who had won the title in New Haven 
the week before the tournament was coming in here in ultimate form and I think they ended up meeting in the third round and with hindsight it's sort of looked back on as the you know whoever won that match was destined to go on and and win the tournament we'll never know of course but I think it was 7-5 in the third or something like that to to Osaka so she likes it here Sabalenka I mean if I had her in predictions I wouldn't I wouldn't feel great about it because she's so damn unpredictable. Um, See also Garbina Muguruza, who in our daily newsletter predictions I picked to lose today to Linda Fruvitova, the very talented young Czech. And Muguruza beat her love and four. And I don't know what that means. I don't understand Garbina Muguruza at all. Was the first time she's won back-to-back matches since February which is mind-blowing, and it does really tally with the sort of experience I've had of her. Every time she's got a win this year, I've thought, OK, maybe that's the win that gets her back closer to what she can be, because we all know her quality, and yet she just hasn't backed anything up at all. I think maybe this is the big one. Finally backing up a win is, is, a, is a point of difference to her results over the last eight or nine months. And it was bit tricky in that second set it got closer she was down a break but she fought back well and she started just dismantling the ball it was yeah, great to see she did she's got Kvitova next so and someone oh. completely baffling is going <laughs> to win through that and, and reach the fourth round and Petra Kvitova dominates that head-to-head yes to head, it's one of one. those interesting head-to-heads do you remember when we were here um Muguruza we felt was starting to take the mantle of Serena Williams as world number one I think she'd just gone to number one she'd won Wimbledon and she'd had a good summer and then she ran into Kvitova and just mm. got mm. chopped up really in the in in that um in that maybe match. Petra Kvitova is a dark horse yeah, I mean, look, if if she could stay out of the heat, the real heat of the day, I mean, she got she got a, yes. a, a, a walkover, didn't she, or a retirement? I can't remember which and, one it was. And I think particularly humidity. Um, I think she she struggled with breathing um, in humidity, which I I really sympathise with. It's almost that kind of claustrophobic feeling, isn't it? Um, yeah, very interesting. But uh, a lot more of my dark horses are in the other side of the draw. I mean, Serena, for me, is a, a dark horse. I'm by no means picking her to win the title at this stage, but I'm I'm eyes emoji on her. Um, Bianca Andreescu? Yeah, actually, last night... We didn't get a chance night, to talk about her last I, night. I, but. I, the, the, there's a slightly unusual situation here where um, we've got the cable TV in our rooms and, and we were watching last night the match on Arthur Ashe Stadium with Dano Medvedev winning through pretty comfortably and I was waiting for them to flick over to the uh, the Bianca Andreescu Same. match Same. and then it turns out that's on I think ESPN Plus and I don't have that mm. <laughs> so didn't I get to see that I think only the internet has that yes. and the American internet that is that not, we can't get access to. to we're, we're struggling with that a little bit, but yeah. but actually, I listened to it on. There was some radio commentary on it on the U.S. Open um, app, and uh, there was um, Jose Higueras was actually part of the the commentary on that. It was just quite interesting to listen to that that unfold. And look, I thought, and this is not the first time I've gone down a Beatrice had had my <laughs> com- a prediction rabbit hole and ended up in trouble. <laughs> But uh, and I said to you when you were big enough, Andrescu, I thought that BHM would uh, take her out, and she didn't. And and that's actually a really good win, I think, for Andrescu in the middle of the night. I mean, you know, that's yeah, one o'clock really in the good. morning. And efficient. 
yeah. you know she didn't get dragged into anything and obviously my favourite Andrescu is an Andrescu Andrescu that's been dragged into something um, and it's fighting her way through with Coco watching on from the stands but you, you can't be doing that every round I'm you know her getting an efficient win I think is is pretty big and I'm and, and speaking of eyes emoji she plays Caroline Garcia mm. tomorrow in the night session Andrescu plays Garcia Armstrong. and that was a those were the two names that I agonised over in that section of the draw in my predictions and I did go for Andrescu but form would tell you Garcia but, but this is what we're saying about today being a bit of a a bit of a dud in yeah, some ways we're already talking about tomorrow you know, again I, I can handle the dud when you start telling me things like that because I haven't looked at the draw I didn't know these matches were coming up by the way I do, I've just remembered another name from this half of the half of the draw today's half sort of searching around for players that might be a threat to Sviontek and I'm not sure exactly when they'd meet but I do think we need to be looking out for Danielle Collins because her obviously beating Osaka in the first round given the quality of that match was a statement but also what she said after the win I think was quite a statement I mean she's feeling physically as good as she did at the Australian Open she looks fired up and Danielle Collins fired up is <laughs> that's proper. Fired everyone up. beware. And, and if she wins tonight, she will play Elise Corner. Yes. Oh come she on, will. which is just. I was yeah. keeping Fantastic. an eye on that match today. By that the way, was great. she was up against Katarina Siniakova. Won the first set six one, lost the second set six one, then had a medical timeout early on in the third set and looked in some trouble, and then immediately broke. <laughs> well, well, she's having the best year of her life with. Just an immense amount of strapping on at least one thigh. Both thighs. Sometimes both thighs. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's, she's sort of got mummified legs. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's having, having the year of her life at 32. Well, it's the first time she's made it to the third round at every slam in a season. She got there today. and She's the new Elisa Mertens. <laughs> <laughs> and it's... Um, it's it's Pride Day at the US Open today, and, and she was wearing her rainbow wristband. Oh. And, and, and I Good did over. just think that it was a very sort of Susan Sontag on camp experience watching Elise Cornet today. You know, it was theatrical and exaggerated and passionate and playful and all all of those words. And yeah, it was it was just very fitting. She is, that's that she great. Won. She's she's a camp watch, isn't she? Yeah, oh yeah, totally. yeah. I love that. That's mm. cool. Uh, I, what I love is that I haven't really looked at the draw, so you just keep surprising me with loads of magical matches. David's to a come. tennis player who asked in asked in the first round press conference, "Have you looked at the draw?" No, please don't tell me about the draw. Yeah, One match at a time. I want it to be a surprise on the dud day when everybody's winning easily and we're thinking it's all rubbish, and then suddenly we realise, oh, it's all coming up. Uh, talking of which. Jessica Pagula, a straight sets winner today over Alexandra Sasnovich. I must admit, I thought that that could be a, a tricky match because Sasnovich likes to play a big name, doesn't she? But Pagula just delivers, doesn't she? She doesn't. She, she doesn't slip on banana skins. Yeah. She also she doesn't, doesn't get massive wins yet. But you know, she's a bit of a Cameron Norrie. Yeah, it was quite an interesting match because Sasnovich has these real peaks and troughs and Pagula just doesn't and there were a lot of breaks of serve but Pagula just wasn't flustered at all and ends up doing what she does winning in straight sets yeah she's she's just reliable isn't she I do I do feel like she's probably going to fulfill her 
seeding. What, what's her? Do we know her big match? That's going to. I think kind she's of... in the Schwiontek quarter. Yeah. Because she's always in the Schwiontek quarter. <laughs> she is. That's what the draw gods ordain for her. And that is her fate. Ash Barty dominates you, she <laughs> retires. Now we give you Igush Fiance. Lovely. Well, uh, another big match um, today, won impressively from behind, was by Belinda Bencic. Mm. 13th seed, lost the first set 6-3 to Serrano Castella, then second set 7-5. I mean, that, you know, Castella doesn't give it away. She, she served for it, Castella. Did didn't, she? didn't watch the match, but was... You know a match is good when you're entertained by live scores. And yes. I was very entertained by the live scores on that one. Uh, she plays either Pliskova or Buzkova uh, next. I'm not sure if that match has it been played ha- I, I can yet. assure you it has finished because <laughs> I was watching it point by point because I've picked Buzkova to beat Pliskova in the newsletter predictions Thanks. for four in a row. And she lost 6-3-6-2. So that's my run over, and Pliskova is therefore the opponent. Some, of some karma for bringing up your three in a row last night. Yeah, I deserve that. Um, look, this, this match probably won't mean an awful lot in the context of the tournament, but I really feel we need to tip the hat to Lauren Davis, who's beaten Ekaterina Alexandrova. Love 6, 6-4. Seven six ten six ten five in the champ in the match tie break. She can be a wild ride at Grand Slams, can't she, Lauren Davis? I, I, I have a feeling there are countless examples, but the one that immediately springs to mind is having match points against Simona Halep at the Australian yes. Open the year that Halep reached the final, lost to Wozniacki, and ended up on a drip in in hospital overnight. She's someone. Give me a word other than diminutive. <laughs> She's quite short. Yeah, she's quite short. She's quite short. She's plucky. She's all of the cliches that yep. you associate with a smaller statured tennis player. And she's lived up to them today. <laughs> so well done, yeah. Lauren Davis. Um, there has been a pretty big upset. On, I suppose, look, in seedings terms, it's a bit like Contivate losing last night. Really, Paolo Badosa just at the moment doesn't feel like the fourth seed. The way her form is... Um, and she's out in the second round. Beaten by a very good player in Petra Martic, somebody who's done significant things in the game, but has not won that many matches of late. 6-7, Martic lost the first set, but then 6-1, 6-2, ran away with it. I didn't get to watch that match. It was played over on court 17. Nice court, that. But that's a, a pretty jarring scoreline. Matt, I think you, you kept your eye on that. Yeah, I went out for the third set, hoping that it was going to be really... Exciting, you know, and Barossa just quite meekly went down a double break and did did fight a little bit in in the closing stages. Had some breakback points, but couldn't convert them. She's searching; she really is. And watching her up close, the media seats there are literally in the front row, and you can see the anguish on her face. You know, real pained expression that she's playing with. She was. She was struggling with the Martic game, you know, that, that variety. Martic keeps the ball so low, and Balossa was just struggling to get the top spin to get it back over the net. Um, she's, had a, she's had a hard time recently, Balossa, I think on and off court. It, was, it sort of came to my attention recently that in the, in the Spanish press, she's been really taking a, you know, a bit of heat because she made a a bit of a blunder in one of these fun videos that I think was during the grass court season but it came out saying that 
you know, she was asked what languages she speaks, and she said, well, Catalan isn't a language. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that deep, but I've been watching too much Love Island as well. Um, <laughs> but it sort of got picked up on, and it's, it's sort of the equivalent, it's, I suppose, of Andy Murray so saying... Andy Murray, anyone, anyone but, but England. England. You know, it, and I think, I think that's been quite tough. It was all over, you know, Spanish-speaking social media and... I just you know, I'm, I'm not saying that's the reason she lost to Petromatic, but it just it all adds. It all it? adds mm. up, and it's just it's just been a tough, tough run for her. And so. it, I mean, if anybody doesn't remember that Andy Murray one from it's, it's 16 years ago now, and these days he's, everybody in the UK, I think pretty much everybody now loves him and appreciates him. But back then, and if they don't, they're wrong. Yeah, and um, I mean back then, England playing a, a World Cup match, and he's bantering away with Tim Hemman and. And uh, Tim said to him, I think, who do you want to win the England match? And he said, anyone but England. And it, it was a joke at Tim Hemman's expense, etc. And they were going back and forth. That got reported and picked up and sent around the world. And suddenly all the English people that were following him were saying that he's anti-English. And it's not and true. And, you know, when you, particularly around Wimbledon time or whatever, if, still, if you, if you get in a cab and the cab driver wants to talk to you about tennis and you say you work in tennis or whatever and Andy Murray comes up quite often that will still be the the thing that they reference and I you know I hope that's not the case for Paolo Bedosa but sometimes these things can stick just quickly on that I know we've got men's stuff to talk about but as somebody Matt who understands the sensitivities there around Catalan language is there any does she deserve any heat for, for that is that an, a naive it is naive I mean Catalan it, Catalan is a language it, it absolutely is I think she would just think of it as the fact that if you if you grow up in that part of the world I mean she was actually born in Manhattan wasn't she but she, she spent a lot of time in, in Catalonia you do speak both you know if you're immersed in it you speak Spanish or Castilian and Catalan so I can sort of understand why she wouldn't count it as sort of an extra... I think, I think that was the point she was trying to say. It's not like she also speaks English, you know, mm. which is a language that she's learned. It's not a sort of extra language. I think that was just a little bit lost in translation, mm. to be honest, because, of course, Catalan is a language. Um, but I don't think that was exactly what, what she was saying, and it, it, just, it just blew out of all proportion. That's a shame. That's a shame. Um, one other match that took place today under very difficult circumstances was a match between Marta Kostyuk of Ukraine and Victoria Azarenka of Belarus. It was won straightforwardly by Azarenka and there was no handshake after this match. I think the, the players just touched rackets uh, in, and uh, afterwards Kostyuk was, was asked why she didn't shake hands with Azarenka and she said she didn't think it was appropriate um, given the invasion of Ukraine by Russia and in conjunction with Belarus and she said it was my choice I don't feel like I know any single person who condemned the war publicly and therefore I can't I can't shake hands with them um, Azarenka was also asked about that afterwards Matt what was uh, what was the gist of what she had to say well, she said that uh, she's been doing a lot behind the scenes um, 
to help. Uh, she said she's had a very clear message from the beginning, uh, trying to help. I do it for the people in need, juniors who need clothes, other people who need money or transportation. Um, she said that she really wanted to play the Tennis Plays for Peace exhibition in the week leading up to the US Open. She was eventually pulled out of it by the USTA, but she said that it was a no-brainer for her. She wanted to play. She said, why wouldn't I participate in a humanitarian aid for people who are really struggling right now? Um, she said that she's never really had a relationship with Marta Kostiuk, um, but she said that, you know, as her role on the player council, part of it is to, you know, take on these issues and to talk to players, and she said she is always making herself available for that. Okay. Well, obviously, uh, just a really difficult situation all round. Azarenka goes through to the next round. Now, the men that played earlier today, Carlos Alcaraz showed some fantastic form for a couple of sets. 6-2-6-1 over Federica Correa, which, no great surprise. Um, but then the third set actually got quite interesting. I, I kept an eye on that. He was leading it 4-2 was Alcaraz, and then suddenly Federico Correa turned into the best player of all time for about four games. Well, look, I didn't watch every single point of this, but Matt and I were sat in the media cafe having a having a, a cookie break oh, yeah. uh, during the third set of this and Alcaraz is a break up in the third absolutely cruising I mean there is just a golfing class between these two and every time I look up Carlos Alcaraz is hitting what I would describe as a sort of exhibition um, an exhibition shot really a showtime shot which obviously I was loving, um, but <laughs> they also mostly me. weren't weren't pulling off. There was a there was a front on tweener, just loosened his grip on it right. a bit, you know. And I don't know what it means because I I don't think he would do that against a better opposition. But equally, I don't think that's brilliant. Bet he got a but right I telling off I, from calf, one calf. Yeah, well, I bet. You know, mate, exactly. He's so young. It's all new. You know, cruising through early rounds of slams is new to him. Yeah. He reached the sem- he reached quarterfinals here last year, and that was his breakthrough. That was only a year ago. We're now only 12 months on, just expecting him to cruise through these matches um, until he runs into, you know basically one of the big three and only one of them is here yes um so look it's all new i i do suspect Juan Carlos Ferrero has had words and i think he'll probably learn from it but (laughs) yeah it was interesting i mean obviously that balance of being brilliant and loose and feeling free to be himself and express himself on the court but also being efficient and not being there for the show is going to be a balancing act for him Um, and I think it always is for players with that many tools at their disposal I back him to find the balance um, but I think today momentarily exposed that that balancing act exists and perhaps he is not always perfectly calibrated on it 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. And he's got Jensen Brooksby Ooh. next. I mean, that's a really intriguing match. And for a start, we should reference that Brooksby got a fabulous win today over Borna Chorich, who we were bigging up to high heaven the other week after that incredible run to the Cincinnati title. Yes, he left his serve in Cincinnati, oh, unfortunately. So his Pete Sampras days of <laughs> on the were just a week. He left his racket on the grandstand court that when this match was played. The racket did not survive this match. Ah, OK. Borna had a terrible day. He was a bit grouchy, wasn't he? He's a not a big bit. fan of Jensen Brooksby. No. <laughs> There's a lot of people that are not. And, I mean, I, I, I kind of love that. I love the fact that Jensen Brooksby just goes about his business and yeah, does whatever the hell he wants. it's a bit Danielle Collins, isn't it? Or Yulia Putin-Saver or Yelena Ostapenko, you know. He's OK with the consequences of who he is. He's do, cool do with who that? he is. No, we, is there any concern that he might be getting just quietly bullied a bit? in terms of the fact that other players are not being necessarily very nice about him. I think there's a difference between Borna Chorich complaining about the nonsense on court. You know, he's complaining about Brooksby, you know, fist-pumping his errors and fist-pumping his missed serves and calling out, you know, roaring at his errors and all of that, which, you know, isn't necessarily brilliantly sportsmanlike, but... It's very college tennis, it, I think. It is, yeah. It, it, and that it, it, He is hasn't t- really left that behind. He's totally, brought it to the ATP Tour. But because it's been effective for totally. him. Totally. You know, and I think the issue that people take with Jensen Brooksby is that his nonsense and abrasiveness perhaps feels, feels slightly more tactical and premeditated than others do. Um, and that's not to say that I think it's all an act. I think it is him. But I also think he recognises that wise people up. Get in the kitchen. And, you know, it was a massive factor on that win in that win today. And it's got him into the third round of the US Open beating the Cincinnati champion. So He was working that crowd, wasn't he? I mean yeah. when he when he I think when he won the second set and he'd been behind all the way through it, he won it on a tiebreak and he was raising the hands and there's going to be a relationship between him and New York oh he's going to be a menace I think at this tournament for many years to come you're not going to want to draw Jensen Brooksby I think he's still got to prove himself on other surfaces hasn't he but I just feel like every time the US Open rocks around he's going to be a bit of a factor because he's 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 awkward and he embraces that and yeah he saved seven set points in the second set I was all set to go out there if it went one set all so I was just sort of waiting for Borna Chorich to take one of those set points and he just couldn't and I think that was also contributing to him feeling really frustrated because he did have chances and he didn't take them uh, and, I, and I say I mean he did save them one of them with an unbelievable backhand up the line um, so yeah big big moment for Jensen Brooksby yeah there's some very excited people in the media I, um, garden. <laughs> I think that's tricky for our crowds. Yeah, and, and, and mm. is, is there any danger of this turning into a bit of an Hugo Gaston yeah, in Paris possibly. kind of situation Definitely. where Alcaraz gets put, put to the test as to whether he can handle it? handcuff Alcaraz a bit, you know, just make him uncomfortable and doubt himself. Take mm. lots of balls early. Mm. Although the, the crowd do really love Alcaraz here. They do, and I, it's no... It's no accident that he, he's had two Arthur Ashe billings now. You know, Igor Shvontek, the world number one, had to wait till today 
for her first ever outing on Arthur Ashe and Alcaraz has been there for both his matches this year and he well he certainly played at least a couple there last year didn't he um, they have taken him into their bosom <laughs> in 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 the tiny amount of remaining bosom space they have after Serena has occupied <laughs> her bosom space David <laughs> yes. next let's move on <laughs> um, so I mean, I'm really looking forward to that one as well, um, with Brooksby and Alcraz. I was concentrating my day on the fortunes of the British players that were playing today because I was commentating them on BBC Radio, and they were one after another on court number 12, which I, I love that scene out there. It's court 12 and 11 are right next to each other. There's just a corridor of walkway between the two of them, and there was literally a single person's width for people to get to and from this area because it was packed. You've got Diego Schwartzman playing on court 11 at the same time as the two British matches and Schwartzman always has a crowd following him. You know, People really love watching his matches. He, there's a lot of Argentine fans that come here. We've seen that one when Martin Del Potro has played here in the past. And, um, and so I was watching, first of all, Dan Evans um, in his match against the Australian player James Duckworth and Evans is in such great form at the moment and great confidence he was winning two sets to love it was four games all and then suddenly Duckworth has decided nothing's working and he's going for broke on serve he's hitting two first serves for every serve that's how he's holding on frankly and finally he sets himself up with his first break point of the entire match in the, towards the end of the third set and he takes it he wins the set and suddenly I was having lunch with Matt while the set I'm not on is going on and Dan Evans is a breakdown in the fourth and that could have got really dicey Evans turned it around and at the end I don't know whether you saw his celebration oh. hands he hit the most glorious my veins. running backhand <laughs> single handed flourish down the line and he kept on running with his arms out wide as if he was about to take off Caroline Garcia style uh, at the end of a match and I mean he was just so pumped and hyped and, and exhilarated by the moment and, and I think probably relieved as well Would you like a big prediction? I feel Go I feel under pressure to do a big unsolicited prediction yeah. because of what you did yesterday Matt Go for it and I say this with no confidence whatsoever. <laughs> and that, that's my but kind of prediction. There's the stat doing the rounds today about the fact that it's the first time four British men have reached the third round of a Grand Slam since Wimbledon 1997. Which I remember. Yeah, 1997, right in the David Law sweet spot. Greg Rosetsky, Tim Hemman, Mark Petchy, and Andrew Richardson of coaching Emma Adekanu to... US Open title fame oh yes that's right um, so it's a big deal it's a really big deal I think all four of them will win oh come on they've got really tough matches yeah let's go through them very quickly Andy Murray against Matteo Berrettini yeah well Matt convinced me of that last night okay. check in that box right yep uh, we've got Jack. See how I just shifted the responsibility <laughs> for twenty-five percent yes. of my prediction onto Matt Shoulders. Jack yeah. Draper against Karen Hatchinov. Yeah, I think Jack Draper is a better player than Karen Hatchinov. There's the there's the chance that he it overwhelms him a bit. You know, bouncing back from the huge win that was Felix Auger-Aliassime. It's risky, but I think he's good enough. Okay, I do. Uh, who's Cam Norrie got? Cam Norrie has got Holger Rune, oh, yes. who can't win because the media. 
Right. <laughs> the media are holding him back. He got it. He got himself a walkover, didn't he? Poor John Isner broke his mm. wrist. How sad. I mean, that's a yeah. rough injury to get. Goodness. Yeah, f- f- falling Did went he? out to uh, went to cushion his fall. Oh. It was like a. That's the ice skating injury that yeah, I sustained yeah. many times over. Oh well, get well soon, John. That's, that's it's sad. a long way to fall. Yeah, it sure is. Don't. I did see him going out, headed out to dinner last night, looking cheeryish. So he's going to. If you're worried about your fellow tall man, a nice few nights out instead, mm. at least. And then we've got Dan Evans against, against Marin Cilic. They've played once in a Grand Slam, Australian Open 2017. Dan Evans won. And Evans is better than he was then. And Chilic, I know he's had a good year, and I don't, I'm not qualified to say this because I haven't watched either of his matches so far. But <laughs> you're going to say it anyway. But <laughs> My kind of prediction. Yeah, Evans is going to win it. No evidence. We don't need any. Feel. Did you, Catherine, go to the Dan Evans press conference? I did. One of the things I found interesting, because um, I've just read the transcript, I'm interested in your take on it having been in the room. Obviously... The uh, assumption, I think, and I think it is true, is that it's great that there are so many Brits all doing well. They, you know, they sort of have a group chat, I'm sure. They sort of motivate each other. But the issue of Davis Cup selection was brought up. It dominated. Right. And but because I think Dan Evans bit. And, and the press conference transcript suggested that he was a little bit sort of, well, hang on a minute, I'm still above Jack Draper about it did that come that across that isn't the impression I got in the okay. room um, I thought he was quite philosophical about it ok because there was a line I think a journalist said you know you can't leave out Jack Draper now and and he said well, hang on a minute he's only played about four ATP tournaments uh, and you know I don't, you can't leave out Andy Murray in Glasgow I'd feel hard done by if I got left out you know Cameron Norrie certainly can't leave him out and you need some doubles players, so there is a case against you know Jack Draper. I just, I just, yeah, he I, was keen to make that point that it's absolutely. I got the impression he was making the point that none of us are safe. Okay, definitely not Jack Draper, but not him either. I felt like there was humility there. Okay, but he, I, yes, I, 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 I think he was hitting back to quote the title of Andy Murray's. <laughs> first ever document first uh, ever autobiography um, <laughs> at the suggestion that you know Jack Draper would be first pick and I think rightly so yeah you know okay um, so it's still very much a healthy competition I think and so yeah, and yeah I, I, actually, I really loved all of that back and forth because mm. he's desperate for it you know and also there's no complacency or I'm sure there's a little bit of ego in there but I think I think they all respect Leon Smith and they they will accept whatever decision is made. I did find it interesting that Dan Evans said you have to pick a doubles player because I thought he might say, well, hang on a second. I can I, play doubles. I can play doubles. You know, he's a Miami finalist in, in doubles. He, he really can play doubles. And he's, he's shied away from being controversial about this more recently. But it wasn't that long ago that he was pretty keen to make the point that he thinks... Any any top singles player will be better at doubles and the, than a doubles and the, player. And any doubles specialist, basically, a, a singles yeah. player who wasn't good enough to make it. So that I mean, yeah, and I mean, you get five in the team, don't you? So yeah. you could pick Draper, Evans, 
Norrie, Murray and a doubles player. Yeah. But I think the point was that they might pick a doubles team. Mm. Probably Skupski but, and Salisbury, I guess. But, when, but Dan Evans has played a lot with Neil Skupski. Yeah. Very successfully. They reached the Miami final together. I, I think they've reached finals together uh, this year as well. They, they've played mm. really well together and in Davis Cup, I think. So... A football manager would say it's a good selection headache good to have. Problem to a good have, problem yeah. to have. So, sorry yeah. for the foray into the deep dive. No, it was into really Britain's it was, a, it was an interesting, interesting yeah. press conference. I, I liked it. I liked it. Um, okay, so well, I, I I was asked about. We were talking about it on air on BBC Radio, and I actually said that given I think I think all four players could beat their respective opponents, but that the chances of them all happening are not that big. So I, I went for two out of four would win. Um, but, Which two? Well, <laughs> I mean, I think you could choose any two. He's losing. Um, no, no, no. I think you'd have to say Andy Murray would be pr- not the favourite to win his match. Basically dragged you on oh, on the BBC map. <laughs> yeah. Don't settle for that. Um, no, no, he's I, not the favourite on paper. I, I would I would back... That's not what we deal in Probably here, the most likely wins, I would say, are Draper and Norrie. I think uh, Norrie's definitely Oh, I the think most Evans likely. is more likely than Draper. I, I would put Evans and Norrie as my bankers. Okay. Well, I mean, Evans is playing <laughs> seriously good tennis. That much is clear. Um, okay. Well, it's very interesting. Um, right. Well, we've got the night session coming up. Let's just see if we've got any other matches that we need to cover off. Any more in the men's draw, Matt, that we, we feel like we should give a mention to at this point? Uh, I saw Brandon Nakashima won you some points, Matt. Yes, he beat Grigor Dimitrov, Grigor straight Dimitrov sets. in straight sets. It looks like that might be news to Matt. Um, no, like you, I've been I've been following that closely because <laughs> it was because it was my prediction. Okay, well I think that that's He's just um, doing this thing called humility, no, David. I don't I don't do that. Okay, um, well I've just seen a, a, a message to say that. Um, Fans are being offered wristbands to go into the crowd with that are going to, I think, light up for the Serena and Venus match. So, very, oh, like Coldplay, very Coldplay. Yeah, that's what they do. Um, so that, we got that to look forward to. So we'll come back for we'll go and have a watch of the night session and, uh, and then tell you all about it. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Well, over the years, we've seen performances from Rafael Nadal that have left us just open-mouthed with the awesomeness, the brilliance, the mind-bending genius of the man, Matt. We haven't seen that tonight. <laughs> he's through, Rafael Nadal, he's through. He's beaten Fabio Fanini in four sets, but I don't know. Sum up how bad that match was. It made me physically uncomfortable. <laughs> Why? Explain. It was It was terrible. I mean, we have said some incredible things about Nadal this year, and I've meant every single word. And I mean every single word of what I'm about to say about Nadal. And Fanini. He is not to be excluded from this, because they both played a part in just a weird, bad quality tennis match. Nadal called it one of the worst starts he's ever had on court, and he was a set down, he was... A breakdown, he could barely find the court. Uh, The second set between them, Fanini and Nadal hit nine winners and 39 unforced errors. And I I sometimes think the stats people are quite generous on what is an unforced error. Just one of those really bad matches, and I didn't enjoy watching it at all. And, and you know, and look, we 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 had a pass to get into the Arthur <laughs> Stadium, and I'm well aware there will be thousands of people around the world listening to this, thinking, "You lot just need to be a little bit more grateful for what you get." And I understand that point, but you know, when we do get to see these matches, and so often we are overwhelmed with how wonderful they are, this was just can it can it be over soon? Because mm. this is terrible, and. Uh, Look, I mean, I think generally speaking, the Arthur Ashe Stadium is a strange environment to watch tennis in. I, I haven't spent that much time in the press seats before, even all these years that I've been going. And I actually watched both the, the doubles match, which we'll come on to, and also this match. And whilst there's an incredible atmosphere for the stars' arrival and for the fact that they're there and that sort of thing, um, 
the acoustics are are not great in the stadium visually it's a good sight but you feel i feel quite disconnected from what's going on quite detached because of the the sound it's very different to what you experience on tv where they've got all the mics around you know and it picks everything up and you you hear you hear the come ons where you don't really hear them necessarily on the court but to watch a match of that lack of quality where both players are just having a terrible time and struggling you know, I mean, John McEnroe said uh, it's quite something when you're laying an egg like uh, Rafael Nadal was to stay that positive. And I thought that summed it up pretty well. Yeah, totally. I mean, there was a good crowd. You know, it was, it was late by the time they started, by the time the match was really, you know, in the thick of it. It was late and there was still a good crowd and they were responding to the very occasional flash of brilliance that there would be. I, I, I do remember one Rafael Nadal forehand up the line in particular, which was just stunning, vintage Nadal. But generally, I agree, it is it is a slightly weird experience when the match is bad, and it was bad. Mm. Have we made that clear? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I've heard six bads so far and, from you. And, and then there was also this extraordinary moment in the fourth set, which... We watched um, on the bus back to the hotel via someone who was who was streaming it on the bus. So we only got a bit of a sort of glimpse of it, but we've obviously caught back up on it. And Nadal, at full stretch on the backhand side, tries to retrieve the ball and the racket bounces up off the ground into his own nose and causes it, causes significant bleeding. And he's he has to have a medical timeout. He's lying on the on his back on the ground and there's he's being treated and it it's one of just the most bizarre tennis injuries i've ever seen i mean it's it's extraordinary and he looked to be in considerable pain i think he was in shock as well because you're not ready for that Mm. and then suddenly your racket's frame has hit you in the face yeah and he he did return with big tape over it um but yeah, just I suppose in keeping with a, with a weird evening, but a disconcerting moment for Nadal. Yeah, look, I, I and I do think we have to say Fabio Fanini blew it tonight because he had Nadal a set and a breakdown, and he should have been winning that second set, and then suddenly the wheels fell off his game. Mm. He was double faulting all over the place. He he handed it back to Nadal, Mm. in all honesty. And I also think Nadal, early on in the match, had a bit of an issue with his uh, finger. Mm. I think maybe blisters. I I did hear some reports that uh, he'd had a bit of an issue in practice earlier in the day. And again, the the trainer came on for that and gave him something. And he was just mistiming the ball. And as you said, he he was there for the taking. If, if, If Fanini was playing anywhere near like he can, he probably would have won that match tonight. Where where do we fall on the prospects for Nadal? Because he's somewhat helped on paper by the fact that he's playing Richard Gasquet next and he owns Richard Gasquet. Uh, He described how they have this incredible history and lovely (laughs) relationship. But I think he he probably... (laughs) was missing a bit of the the irony of 
the fact that really it's only him who enjoys the relationship. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Gasquet hasn't beaten Nadal since they were both 12 at Le Petit Zat, right. uh, which is one of the big junior tournaments. And there's, there's footage of that available on YouTube, should Gasquet wish to inspire himself. <laughs> it up. Go back to 1999, Richard. Do you think he ever did? In all, I mean, how many times has he lost to him? 17 in a row since then. Right. Yeah, it's bad. Somebody it's really does bad. beat Richard Gasquet <laughs> 17 times and, in a row. And Nadal said, didn't he, on the on the court, I think it was his final line of the on-court interview, that he hopes he can start playing in matches like he's playing in practice. That was an interesting line. And, and that did tally with the pre-tournament press conference I went to with Nadal, and he was quite bullish about how well he did seem to be playing in practice. We just haven't really seen it on the match mm. court yet, but... You know, you've 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 got to back him to find it eventually, yeah. and a, an opponent like Gasquet, who he's comfortable against, might be, might be the time. Who, who's his first main threat, assuming Gasquet isn't a threat? <laughs> uh, I think I had him down as playing Cameron Norrie in the quarterfinals, right? Yeah, and they've played, you know, they've played quite a lot, and Nadal has won, but they've been they've been quite competitive, I combative matches. Well. Yeah, and, yeah. Well, it's, it's a. They're not mirror images because Norrie's got that very flat backhand as opposed to the loopy forehand. But generally speaking, he, you know, you, there are some similarities in terms of the type of tennis Norrie's trying to play and the, the way he brings it and mm. keeps on bringing it. But uh, yeah, it's very going to be very interesting. And uh, and that was um, that was an interesting interview. I enjoyed that line, and and, and it suggests that. He's not worried because he knows it's in there. Mm. He's just got to get it out. Yeah. So before that, we had the doubles match with Serena and Venus Williams playing alongside one another against Lucy Hrdecka and uh, Linda Noskova. And it was won by Hrdecka and Noskova. And it suddenly went dramatically in the other direction, didn't it? Because uh, Serena and Venus were in charge in that first set towards the end of it. The crowd were going absolutely wild. It felt party time again. It felt like last night. And then suddenly it felt flat because poor old Hrdetska and Noskova, if they won a point, you'd have thought the place was empty. Mm. Yes, there wasn't silence because there's never silence on the Arthur Ashe Stadium with that many people. There's always a murmur. But... If they won a point, the murmur just continued. There was nothing to distinguish the fact that they'd won the point. Um, Venus and Serena had their chances. End of that first set, as you said, they had they had some set points. Um, I thought Noskova played really well in the tie break. And then I thought Hodetska really played well right at the start of the second set. And they jumped out to a lead. Venus and Serena did get the break back. And... <laughs> I'm sure this wasn't the case, but, well, it did feel a little bit like that final game was kind of them thinking, OK, this has been this has been really nice. It was a really nice occasion. But if they wanted to come back and win that, they were probably going to have to spend another 60 minutes, 90 minutes on the court. And Serena doesn't doesn't need that if, no. if she has serious title ambitions, which... You know, we have to think she does in yeah. the singles. I don't think what we saw tonight is going to damage her prospects tomorrow night. I think actually it's she's serving a lot now as a result in competitive mm. situations. I think it's going to make the serve more lethal. Um, but, I, I, but I do agree with you. I think that there is a danger 
that if she'd have dug in and had an incredibly emotional, inspiring win with the crowd going wild and lots of come-ons, it could be something that makes her come out flat tomorrow night mm. a little. And as it was, it was just brilliant to see them together, playing yeah. doubles for the first time since the French Open 2018. I think something that a lot of people thought they'd never get to see again. And, you know, it's one of the greatest sporting stories of all time, isn't it? Two sisters from Compton, California, both making it to world number one in the world, achieving what they have. It was just special to see them on the court together. There'll they'll never be anything like it again. Yeah, it really was. Elsewhere tonight, um, we had wins for Frances Tiafo. Danielle Collins carried on her run. She looks mm. in good form. It's carrying on for her. Poor loss for Hubert Hercatch. He, I mean, Ilya Ivashka is a good player, but still, Hubert Hercatch has lost four times in the second round at the US Open. He's the eighth seed here. And he... he He's only ever had one Grand Slam tournament where he's really produced, and that was Wimbledon semi-final. Yeah, and I think that does quite a lot of heavy lifting. When you think about Hubert Hercatch, you think, oh, he did reach that Wimbledon semi-final. He can do it in a yeah. slam. But actually, his record outside of that is, is poor. One really of the fourth round. Yeah. That's, Every, everything else has been second rounds. It's just nowhere near good enough for someone who, you know, is is a consistent top 15 top 10 player he needs to be sorting that record out yeah after about two two and a half hours of sitting in the Arthur Stadium I decided I'd got to go for a walk about <laughs> and I I just ended up at the Louis Armstrong court for match point of Kyrgios and Kokonakis doubles where Kyrgios hit a through the legs tween a lob um which missed by about an inch <laughs> <laughs> next point they won the uh, the tie break, but anyway, quite an atmosphere out there. Um, but yeah, it was a, it, it was a in the end, I suppose, as an evening, it was it didn't quite live up to what I think maybe the mm. crowd and the billing had it to be. But Serena tomorrow night, and um, and still Nadal in the tournament. Yes, people who are not in the tournament, not in the doubles anyway, is um, Jessica Pagula and Coco Goff went out of the women's doubles in quite controversial fashion on, on the grandstand because it went to a match tiebreak against Leila Fernandez and Daria Saville. Very, very close. And there was just this one point where uh, Pagula and Goff were well in charge of it. They had a smash on top of the net. And basically, at that moment, a napkin. The second match that I've watched this this week be interrupted by a napkin, the other one being Dominic Team versus Pablo Crenia Busta, came onto the court, and I, I believe Saville pointed to it, and the and the umpire called a let, and they had to replay that point. And I don't think Goff and Pagula won another point. They had a big, long demonstration with the umpire about... You know, it it wasn't hindering the play. That was the problem. You know, the point was practically over. They did have to replay the point just as per the rules, I think. Um, and the crowd were booing. Coco Goff was telling the crowd not to boo. It was a whole scene. Uh, but yeah, those those two who I thought would be a really strong pairing here and would have eyes on the title uh, are out. And Coco Goff, I believe, will lose her number one doubles ranking as a result mm. uh but yeah fernandez and and saville played played really well and they were they were very pumped to have won was there anything in your vantage point that made you think that was poor form from saville to point that napkin out 
Yeah, probably. It wasn't interrupting the point. The point was over. There was a smash on top of the net. Um, but I suppose if you see it, it's just an instinct because that is a let. Yeah. Difficult situation. Yeah, very difficult. What's the order of play tomorrow? Starts with... Oh, it's Andy Murray, Andy isn't it? Andy Murray, Matteo Berrettini on Ooh. Ash. It's a great day session on it Ash. It is, isn't it? Because that's followed by Coco Goff versus Madison Keys. Just two must-watch matches. Yeah. Then in the evening session, it's Serena Williams against Ala Tomljanovic. Then it's Dana Medvedev, isn't it, in, mm. in action in the uh, the final one? Yes, and there are some good matches on Armstrong as well. Uh, I've got my eye on Tommy Paul, Casper Ruud during the day. Oh, that could be good. And Caroline Garcia, Bianca Andrescu at night. Oh, yes, that's a corker. Mm. Okay, well, it sounds great. Um, so we're very much looking forward to what will be day five of the US Open. Hope you've enjoyed this show don't forget the ao travel competition and you could win if you're a friend of the tennis podcast you could win two packages to go to the australian open for four days four days of tickets accommodation two return economy flights and a premium experience and that could be won by it'll be won by somebody one friend of the tennis podcast is going to win that so you know become one get yourself in the draw and it could be you so, And actually, your odds are slightly better than you might expect because all of our relatives and parents are out Correct. of the competition. We're not allowed to enter. <laughs> our parents and relatives are not allowed to enter. But you are if you're a friend. Anyway, um, our mascot for the tournament is Phoebe, who's lovely. Phoebe, thanks for doing such a splendid job as our mascot. Our own mascots are uh, Darwin for me, Carter for Catherine, Gerald the Cat, the lily part of Gerald for Matt, uh, who got the only prediction right of the three of us today. So well done, Matt. Um, our executive producers are Carl Weingartner and Chris Albert Lee. Um, what else have I got to say? Billy Jean the dog, sponsored oh, yeah. by Billy Jean King How and Alana Kloss. Possibly forget. And uh, we have shout-outs, Matt. We have special shout-outs today because in the absence of Catherine, who we've sent off to go and get some sleep because she's got an alarm call about 5 a.m., we do have contributions, though, from Catherine for the shout-outs. So come on, who we got? Yes, she has sent in shout-out analysis, but not tennis analysis <laughs> for the night session. Actually, we have been getting sh- uh, tennis analysis <laughs> on WhatsApp, and it's been very amusing. <laughs> uh, what have we got? We've got Mario Rivera from San Francisco. Right, Mario, like Anchich. Yes, and actually that's very good, because Catherine says... Given I'm doing this remotely, I used the benefit of Google and inputted the search words Tennis Mario to try and unearth (laughs) tennis players called Mario. I instead unearthed the long discontinued Nintendo game called Mario Tennis. It seems not to have been a big hit. Anyway, thanks, Mario. (laughs) But you're right, Mario Angchik. Absolutely. See, I've delivered. (laughs) By the way, the, the, the word she used most to describe the tennis in the evening session was Weird. Weird. And that was on-point analysis. Yes. Who else we got? Cheers, Mario. We've got Ash Jameson, originally from Sydney, but now living in New York City. And Catherine writes, an Ash from Australia. 
making me feel wistful. Although there's no point missing Ash Barty here because obviously she would have crashed out first round because of the balls. (laughs) (laughs) Quite right. Oh, Ash, thank you so much uh, for being a friend of the tennis podcast. You're a legend. And final shout-out is Jean de la Verpillière. Okay, well, that could be the best name we've ever had. Who is in Cambridge, and Jean writes a little story saying that he once had an argument with, with Marat Safin as a 12-year-old on the final Sunday of the 2002 Davis Cup, which France lost to Russia in paris Bercy. Jean writes, I was trying to get him to autograph one of those giant tennis balls, but only had a ballpoint pen with me. He refused, saying it would not work without a marker pen. (laughs) I insisted, and he eventually tried with the ballpoint pen. Of course, it did not work, and he grumbled, I told you so, before walking off, which felt like a terrible blow at the time. That is so merit suffering. And Catherine says, vivid memories of that Davis Cup final. Poor old Paul-Henri Mathieu. Sounds like you had an authentic Merit Safin experience, though, which is more valuable than any autograph. (laughs) I couldn't agree more. Okay, well, lovely shout-outs. Thank you all. And if you would like a shout-out, you can get one. It's one of the things we offer as part of Friends of the Tennis Podcast, our subscription system, which gives bonus editions of the show, 20 podcasts we've produced so far this year and many more to come, uh, including Q&As in the next few weeks and also a review show in which we'll be getting voice notes from some of our favourite contributors. Also, friends, you get to enter the competition, of course. You could introduce a show. That's another option that we've got available. So the link to become a friend of the Tennis Podcast is in the show notes to this podcast. And ultimately, Friends of the Tennis Podcast is what enables us to be here right now because we've got to fund it somehow and you you lot are doing it for us. So, well, we're, we're chuffed to bits that so many of you are. Right. Bedtime, Matt Roberts. Off we go. <laughs> and we've got day five of the US Open coming up. We'll be back with another podcast tomorrow night. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.